Hello and welcome to the Ethics Pod. Thank you for joining us. Uh, this is a new podcast aimed at supporting A-level students learning about different ethical theories in line with religious studies. But we've got some scope to do other things as well in the future. So this first series, we're going to be looking at Aristotle's virtue ethics. We're going to do this in seven different episodes, so hopefully you'll join us for all of those. But if not, feel free to pick and choose between the episodes as the ones that you think will be most helpful for your learning. The episodes are as follows. So today's episode, we're going to be looking at intro uh, to virtue ethics. We're going to look at its origins. We're going to look at eudaimonia as a concept and Aristotle's function argument. Episode two, we're going to look at intellectual virtues, reasoning and the doctrine of the mean. Episode 3, Types of People, Aristotle's Moral Virtues Themselves. Episode 4, Aristotle's Conclusion on Virtue Ethics, which is obviously going to be important because it's his theory. In episode 5, we're going to look at application of virtue ethics. So we're going to look at that in relation to theft and lying, which is what will apply all the different ethical theories to, but also an issue of human ethics and animal ethics as well. Finally, in episodes six and seven, we'll be looking at the strengths of virtue ethics, why it can be seen as a really good theory, and the weaknesses of virtue ethics, which is why it might not be seen as a satisfactory way to live your lives. So, without any further ado, uh, Ian, would you be able to tell us a little bit about Aristotle, the history of virtue ethics, and where it came from? I would absolutely love to. So, Aristotle is a really, really like huge towering figure in ancient Greek philosophy. He makes contributions to logic, to metaphysics, to mathematics, physics, biology, botany, ethics, politics, agriculture, medicine, dance, and even theatre. So you name it, Aristotle has contributed to it. He was a student of Plato, who in turn studied under Socrates. And Aristotle himself even taught Alexander the Great. So his teachings have gone on to be a big influence to other big hitters, um, such as Thomas Aquinas, René Descartes, Immanuel Kant, um, Karl Marx and Spinoza. His ethical teachings can be found in his work, The Nicomachean Ethics. It's a philosophical inquiry into the nature of the good life for a human being. At the beginning of his work, um, Aristotle makes this claim. So he says, so this is your quote, Every art and every inquiry, and similarly every action as well as a choice, is held to an aim of some good. Lovely. Right. So, clearly, he is a big deal. Now, as you can see from this claim, uh, it's a teleological claim because it focuses on the outcome of the inquiry and the actions aiming at achieving some good. So, the some good being the aim. But it's important to understand this doesn't mean that virtue ethics is a teleological ethical system. Uh, In fact, it's character-based. And we'll go into that in another episode because it is worth spending some time talking about it. But right from the off, let's not get confused that it is teleological because it's not. It does, though, suggest that there's some final aim to which activities should be directed at. Okay, so not teleological. There is something we should aim at but definitely not teleological. So, what does it fall under, I hear you ask, instead? Well, Aristotle's virtue ethics falls under character-based ethics. The reason behind this is that the final end that Aristotle said to 
be sought after is eudaimonia. So in my research prior to the creation of the podcast, teachers, students identified this as the least understood part of virtue ethics. So I'm going to try and break it down and shed some light onto what it is. That said, it's not simple and it isn't easy to remember, which is why this is probably the aspect of virtue ethics that's so unpopular with teachers and students alike. Now, the lazy approach, which is one I have to confess that I've taken into the past and I know other teachers have, is eudaimonia equals happiness or pleasure. Okay, It's not wrong, but it isn't in any depth or accuracy. After all, we do want a nice tight definition to get ourselves started with it. So for those that equate happiness with pleasure, that's more along the lines of Early Jeremy Bentham, which we know has its own critics, even his own godson, John Stuart Mill, says it's better to be Socrates dissatisfied than a pig satisfied. So, for that reason, we can easily assume that this definition of eudaimonia wouldn't cut if Socrates' student Aristotle. In fact, Aristotle made the same argument thousands of years before Mill's famous pig and muck, quote, stating that even cattle feel pleasure. That's not as catchy, and that's probably why that didn't become so famous. But for that reason, happiness equals pleasure and eudaimonia. Uh, that definition just might be seen as potential markers a little bit lazy. There are also two other definitions of eudaimonia that you might hear and tend to fall by the wayside with logical reason. So the first of that is that happiness is found in receiving political honour. But that comes and goes, just ask David Cameron. And also, the other is money. But as we all know, that also comes and goes like the breeze. This leads us to ask then, what is Aristotle's definition of eudaimonia? Let's take a look at a definition of eudaimonia that Aristotle himself would be happy with. Well, for now at least. So Aristotle does give his own definition of what eudaimonia is. But that said, it is not straightforward and it is certainly not a one-size-fits-all definition. Aristotle based his definition of eudaimonia around the function of the human soul. Okay, So you've got to remember that. He bases his definition around the function of the human soul. He said that human good is a function of the soul in accordance with virtue. Okay, so let's uh, unpick this a little bit. So first, it's important that we understand that the Greek translation of function, because it's not what we might see it as, it translates as work or accomplishment. So Aristotle is saying that if something is good, it fulfills its purpose. So this is easy to define if you're talking about an object. For example, a good saw, it'll have a sh some sharp teeth, it'll be in line, the teeth along it will be in the straight line of the blade with an ergonomic handle, so it's nice and easy to hold. And as a result, it'll produce a straight cut with a crisp finish but this is more difficult for living things so what is their purpose in order to explain this aristotle devised a hierarchy of souls now it's important to state that for aristotle the soul is not the essence of a spirit of who we are like we might see it nowadays instead it is the form that we take. So so for Aristotle, um, the soul is about what these living forms or souls, such as plants, animals and humans, do. 
the function of humans is derived from where we differ from other living things. So it's fair to say that humans are pretty similar to animals in relation to the form we take and how our bodies work. By this, I don't, mind, um, I don't mean we wander about on all fours or we're automatically similar, but I do mean that we both need nutrition for growth, we have the ability to move, we can sense things and so on. So Aristotle bases human function around the one thing that sets our form or soul apart from others, and this is our reasoning. So Aristotle concludes that the purpose for human beings is focused around our rational soul. So a good life will be one in which reason is exercised well. So eudaimonia for Aristotle is, and this is what he says, this is his quote, thus the good life is not the kind in which we eat, reproduce, sense, move, remember or imagine well, because plants and animals do that, but that in which we exercise our reason well. So a way of saying this in a pretty effective and nice sounding way, I think, is describing it as human flourishing. What a phrase. So memorable. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Now, this too isn't a one size fits all definition. Hopefully you're starting to realise that neither neither is virtue ethics as a theory in, in, in itself. So in order to achieve this with regards to Aristotle's virtue ethics, the person or the moral agent will act completely morally, by choice, with an action based on reason, and will want to act morally based on that reason. Taking all that into consideration, eudaimonia is going to be different for different people, based on their character, based on their profession, based on their family, their role in society, and so on and so forth. So these different aspects of life require reasoned decisions to be made specifically with regards to morals. It's for this reason that it does not fall under the definition of teleological ethics, as we said earlier. Instead, it walks under the ethical umbrella term of character-based or agent-centered ethics. Now, that's a lot to take in for one episode, so I think we'll leave it there. So today, we've looked at Introduction to Aristotle. Who was he? Why was he a big hitter in the philosophical and the ethical world? We've looked at the origins of virtue ethics. We've looked at eudaimonia or the goal of virtue ethics. Now, we will look at this in some more detail later on in episode four or five, I think, because it does change for Aristotle and we should keep that in the back of our mind. We've also looked at, in relation to eudaimonia, the function argument and what the soul is and what stands humans apart from other living things such as animals. And for Aristotle, importantly, that's our reason. So we are going to leave it there for now because we've covered quite a lot. By all means, go back, listen to and make some notes on it if you want. Right. Thanks for listening to our first episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it clarified some issues of virtue ethics that you might not have known before. Um, Next episode, 
what we're going to be looking at is the intellectual virtues. We're going to be looking at reasoning well and what that means in relation to exercising the moral virtues that we'll look at in episode three. And then finally, we're going to look at the doctrine of the mean or the golden mean. Just want to quickly thank Ian for being here. You're welcome. Nice, um, nice to be here. <laughs> are you sure? Are you sure? I don't know if you are. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed being here and I hope that you stick with us and enjoy the next episode. Thanks. Ta-ra.